Good morning, everyone. What a joy it is to be in God's house, and I am so grateful. I get overwhelmed in days like this. When people that you pour your life into for a year or two years or three years are up there going, I need you, you need, I, I lose it. Peggy and I are over there like, just like floating in it. It's just the way it goes. But you know, that's what the body of Christ is. Pastor Jay said to me a minute ago, he said, you know, we don't have a lot of songs that celebrate really who the body of Christ is for us. And that, that moved me today. I wanted to share that with y'all. That has been a strength to us all year long. Especially the thing of, I won't harm you with the words of my mouth. That's, that's a, we, we live in a world, we live in a Facebook world where you can say stuff and not have to face people when you say it. Even though it's called Facebook, there ain't no face. That's right. Okay. Uh, for the last uh, three weeks, I have just, I, I could not wait to come to worship service. The series that just finished, uh, it was called My Story. And in it, we didn't have a traditional sermon. We had three, and three Sundays in a row, we had people tell their story. It sort of goes back to John chapter 9. Remember when the blind man was healed? And uh, Jesus healed him, and he'd been blind all of his life. And the Pharisees said, ah, it wasn't true. It's not true. And they grabbed the guy, and they pulled him in there, and they said, um, they said uh, who healed you? Why did he heal you? What was his name? And the guy said this, I don't know. All I know is once I was blind, and now I can see. You see, that became his story. Nobody else could tell that story. That blind man had a unique story. That's what we saw in the entire month of May from the pulpit here. Not really so much from the pulpit as it was from this, from this dinner table that we, we shared. We had uh, Paul and Angela Saucier who told the incredible story of, of two people who had come from two totally different backgrounds and all of a sudden God placed them in a place where totally out of the will of God and, and God was able to engineer within their lives bringing them to faith in Christ and allowing her to be forgiven of something that had haunted her all of her life and this incredible family in our church. We saw their story. In fact, we saw his story, which was different from her story. His story, the, the church kid who went away and yet the roots of that came back up and, and claimed the, the, the rightful place in his heart. And then her story of shame and disgrace and dysfunction and then all of a sudden she meets the one that forgives her and allows her to, to live and then they've got a precious, wonderful family. We heard the story of Suzanne Cox who of course was, was devastated in her life by not only a broken family but by drugs and alcohol and and she lived a, a life completely empty and hopeless, suicidal. And Jesus entered her life because a church did exactly what we sang about today and, and, and wrapped their arms around her and loved her. And then she ended up not only, she, Suzanne's not just a great testimony. She's a powerhouse speaking throughout the world, been a missionary to India. Incredible story. But it was Suzanne's story. It was like the blind man, I don't know. All I know is once I was this, but now I'm this. Then we heard last week from Benuel and Doris Placencia. As they told their story, incredible story 
uh, our, our, our pastors here who not only minister to our Hispanic ministry and be able to, to minister in Spanish, but listen, ministers to every one of you too. I, I want to say something. I noticed last week, I noticed this. I mentioned to Pastor Jay, I, I noticed that last week as Doris and Manuel ministered, Kingwood Church somehow saw Doris and, and Manuel as pastors of the church, not just ministers to the Hispanic people. I watched the altar call. It, it, you didn't have to be a, uh, speak a certain language or have a certain background to go be ministered to by Manuel. I, I, it was Doris's story, a story of brokenness, a story of, of rejection and even periods of unforgiveness that, and watched God take what was placed in you as a child and grew it and finally you were able to take the place that God had, had provided for you. And Manuel, who was in utter darkness, even, even in the occult, and God gave him supernatural deliverance and has made him a powerhouse in the kingdom of God. I want to tell you, this was Paul's story, Angela's story, Suzanne's story, Doris's story, Manuel's story. That's why we called it my story. That's how it is. Everyone has a unique story. I, I, in the Bible I read where God is called the Lord of hosts. That, that means the Lord of all the millions and millions of angels. The Lord of hosts is the God of Jacob. But you know who Jacob was? Jacob was the, the liar. <laughs> Jacob was the deceiver dude that God put his hand on. You see, he could be Lord of hosts and God of Jacob at the same time. That's, that's amazing. That's where my story comes from. Jacob has a story in the Word of God. I read where the Bible says, Abraham called God El Shaddai, God Almighty. Boom, you know, uh, 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 Charlton Heston, the whole thing. But he was also called the friend of Abraham. He was God's friend. That's how unique our relationship it was God with, is with God. It's not only the story, it's my story. It touched me. I have a unique place. Peggy and I are absolutely blessed on a daily basis to be able to spend so much time working with young people that have all unique stories. Uh, this is year 22 for us. This is our 22nd graduation. Whoa. 22 graduations. But let me, let me tell you what. Every one of those, there's a unique story. Tonight, if you come, and, I, and I, by the way, I hope you do, graduation doesn't last long. It's not, like, it's not like cap and gown kind of graduation with valedictorians and stuff. That's not it. It's like incredible. This is what the Lord has done. And um, tonight, there will be a time that our first-year students, first-year students, they will kneel here and they'll have their Bible in their hand and we'll take a sword that just represents so much in the Word of God. We'll take a sword and I'll, I'll place that sword in the, in the Bible. And we have an agreement. For 22 years it's been this way. I'm going to look into your eyes. You know, the eyes are like the window of your soul. And what we're going to do is between director and student, between that eye glaze, uh, gaze, Hopefully not glaze. <laughs> Between that eye gaze is going to be my story. It's all unique. It's personal, and I remember all of those eyes. 
I really do. I, I, uh, I've, I've overwhelmed by everyone's story. There's one of those that I want to share with you this morning. I want to share this story. I want to show you how incredibly personal this story is. There's a young, young student we have here named Bradley Charlie. Uh, Bradley is, did not spend first-year master's commission here uh, or second year. He was in Texas, and uh, the program there closed down, and, and he was one of the several that came from Texas to Alabama to finish their, their master's commission time. He's, a, he's an incredible young man. He, um, he probably came to us this year further than anyone came from further distance than anyone. He, he actually is from northern Canada. And when I say northern Canada, I'm not talking to like Saskatchewan. I'm talking, he's just not far at all from the Arctic Ocean in a, in a small village called Fort McPherson in the Northwest Territory of, of Canada. But God brought him to Texas and then God brought him here. His story is so unique. It moves me to hear it. I want you to hear it. I wish I could hear all of them. I want you to hear this one. This is Bradley. So I grew up in, um, with a family that was alcoholic. My mom and dad, um, throughout my whole life, I've, I've always known them to drink over the weekends. And, of course, that would affect my life and my brother and my sister's life as well. And uh, this, this was always a recurring thing. But then, and then sometime around when I was... 13, 14, somewhere around that age, um, I, it, it got really, really violent, really intense. And my family, my, my mom and my dad, they would always end up fighting and uh, drinking too much and it would always end up with them yelling at each other, hitting each other or else they would be, um, they'd be separated for a little while. They'd always get back together, split up, get back together, split up and you know, it's always my mom's thoughts were, I want the best for my kids, and sometimes that meant taking us away from my dad, and sometimes that meant putting us back in, uh, putting our dad back into my family, and you know, it was just a recurring thing, and then I just got tired of it, I got sick of it, around when I was um, 12 or 13, uh, I was contemplating suicide numerous times, but um, one day, um, some of my friends they invited me to youth group. And I was thinking, what is that? Like, I've never heard that term before. And uh, they told me it was like church, but for teenagers. And uh, I put the two and two together, and, I, and you get um, church equals fun. So I'm like, well, my thoughts, my thoughts at the time were, I don't really know who Jesus is. But I say that I do. I guess it's time that I should start to uh, get to know him. So I, um, I accept their offer, and I go to their youth group, and... And uh, the sound that, the music that came from the sanctuary was so angelic, so so beautiful that I was like drawn into the sanctuary. And the first person that came up to me was my pastor. And he came up to me with this big smile and this big handshake and that uh, left my hand numb for a little while. And uh, like it felt like I was the most important person in the world to him. And, and uh, later on that evening, um, we, we started to worship, we started to... Uh, enter into the presence of God. And it was unlike anything I'd ever seen, any, unlike anything I'd ever felt before. And I left, that, I left that night and I laid in my bed thinking, 
I have to go back there. I need to go back there. That was amazing. That was incredible. And then I continued going to to the youth groups, continued to uh, be involved with my church. And um, uh, later on in the summer that same year, I accepted Jesus into my life. And, uh, you know, I just started praying for my family more and more and more. Despite how uh, impossible the situation was, you know, I was... Uh, the same thing happened over and over again. My family would get back together. They would split up. You know, like I said before, they they would always do that. Like it was, it was just this never-ending cycle. And uh, to me, I thought it was impossible. But you know, I, I just kept praying anyways. I just kept praying, praying, and believing. And um, it took three years later. I was just you know I I kept praying. And uh, that same Bible camp that I had gone to. Um, I decided to um, dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Um, the song Hosanna was uh, playing, and the the lines "Break my heart for what breaks yours" was what really got to me. And I just started praying that God, I want to be more like you. I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. And you know, I just want to know you deeper and deeper. And in that moment, I I felt God saying to me, "I'm so proud of you." I've been waiting for this moment for so long. And you know, all those prayers you've prayed, all those tears you've ever cried, I'm going to honor them for you. And then he, and then that was it. And I was like, I was just so lost and so lost in his presence. And I just didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. So I just kept worshiping and worshiping. And then later that uh, week, they dropped me off at home in a little community called Fort McPherson where, where my family, for where my uh, house, house is. And when I went home, I went home. Like my family was there, my mom and my dad were there, my brother and my sister were there. There was like the same feeling that I've always felt whenever I went home was, wasn't there anymore. There was no like animosity, there was no, no chaos, nothing like that at all. What there was, there was peace, there was wholeness. And in that moment, I just felt like, I just remembered the words that God said to me, how he was so proud of me, and how he just wanted me to uh, dive into a deeper relationship with him. And from that point on, my, my family has, uh, my mom and my dad, they've never touched a drop of alcohol since. And they've been together, they've been falling more and more in love with each other for the past three or four years. And I'm not saying, I'm not, I don't tell this story to say that if you accept Jesus into your heart, um, your circumstances will change. I tell this story because I want you to know that if you accept Jesus into your life, you'll change. And that's what needs to start. Because once you change, your circumstances will change. And then you'll learn that Jesus is enough. Okay, we wipe tears away because that's another unique way that God walked in. And now Brad has a story. It's his story. He can say, this is my story. Touched his family. In the years that Peggy and I have worked with Master's Commission, and many of you have worked with us, we've dealt with people with addictions and a fatherless generation like never before. Shame. Guilt, pride, arrogance, privilege, poverty, burned by the world, 
burned by the church, blatant sin, secret sin, strong family, orphans. It's amazing. In the body of Christ, all of that is there. Everybody's unique. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 6, and I want to read this to you because we, f- we forget this sometimes. In, in, this, in this church building, we forget this sometimes. 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9 through 11 says, I, I think I'll turn it right here. <laughs> Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or male prostitutes, or homosexual offenders, or thieves, or greedy, or drunkards, or slanderers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's scary. Look at this. And that is what some of you were. He's writing to a church that was filled with people with unique brokenness. Did you look, some of you probably read those brokenness things and are going, nasty, nasty. The body of Christ touches all of those things. Look at what it says. That is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Must we, must we forget where we came from? Please don't. Don't forget your unique story. Don't forget that. Sometimes we all forget that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We forget that sometimes. One time, I, I, have, a, I have a real close aunt. Uh, her name is Charlotte. She lives in Florida. Uh, she's a member of a, 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 a sort of a real mainline Protestant sort of uh, uppity church, <laughs> what I say? Uh, formal church, and, um, uh, and very formal and liturgical. And one time she came to church, she really enjoyed it, came to church, and she sat sort of in the back there, and, and uh, as the service was going on, as the service was going on, uh, Pastor Ron goes, how many of you Thank God you used to be an alcoholic. God has set you free. And hands went up. How many of you thank God you used to be living in sin and God set you free? How many of you in drugs? God's, and hands are going up everywhere. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, I've never seen a church with this many people like this. I said, Charlotte, I promise you, your church has the same. But we've been washed. We've been changed. We've been sanctified. <laughs> What does that do for us? Oh, my goodness. Remember the Bible story of Moses on Mount Sinai? He he went up there and saw God. He actually saw God's hind parts, the Bible says. (laughs) It's the day God mooned Moses. (laughs) The glory of God, the Bible says, made his face glow. And people couldn't look at Moses because he had the glow of God on his face. So Moses put a veil over his face so people could talk to him. That was a little awkward. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he kept wearing the veil because the glory, the glow had gone, and he didn't want anybody to know the glow was gone. So he wore it to 
hide the fact the glow is gone. That's a lot like us. Sometimes we in the church, we don't want to let people down. I don't want to let people know my problems. That's, that's what it was probably with Charlotte's church. I, we don't want anybody to know our problems. We don't want anybody to know where we came from. We don't want to fail them. We sure don't want to be in that list from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 of terrible sinners. But deep in our heart, we know what we've done. We know what happens. It's miserable. Veils are hard to get rid of. Deep inside we know, though. Ask the perfect Jew, Paul of Tarsus. He was a perfect Jew. He called himself later the chief of sinners. Consider the Lord's Supper. You know, when we take the Lord's Supper, we take, of course, bread and grape juice. We know the symbol. The bread is the body of Christ. It was broken for us. The grape juice is the symbol of the blood of Jesus that saved us. It's all highly symbolic. But have you noticed that when we sit in a service, everybody in this room takes the same bread and everybody in this room drinks the same grape juice? You don't have people in this room with, like, really nice bread and other with high-quality grape juice, and others just have to drink high C or something. No. We all share the same. You know why? Because really we're all the same. We're all redeemed. We're redeemed. If you're a Christian in this place, we're all the same. By the same blood, by the same Jesus going to the same heaven. That's what it is. Paul said to them, if you eat and drink the Lord's body and blood in an unworthy manner, you bring judgment on yourself. You know what the unworthy manner is? Unworthy manner is making ourselves better than someone else when the truth is we're all redeemed. So I guess today what I want to do is I want to change my story series to one called Our Story. Today I want to talk about our story. And to use as an example of our story, I want to mention a story from Matthew 27. It's the story of a guy named Barabbas. Barabbas, you know the story. Uh, Jesus was being accused and Pontius Pilate said, okay, I'm going to release somebody on the, your, your Jewish holiday. I'm going to release somebody that has been condemned. So here, do you want to release... Jesus of Nazareth, or do you want to release this guy named Barabbas? Now, there may be something you don't realize about Barabbas. The book of Matthew tells us what Barabbas' name was. Barabbas, uh, that's his name. Barabbas' name in the Scripture, sort of, that's sort of a title. Really, in, in Aramaic, it says this. It says, bar Abba. Bar in Aramaic is the son of. It's the same thing as ben in Hebrew. Bar is the son of. Abba. You know what Abba means? Father. Daddy. So Barabbas, the Bible tells us in Matthew, Barabbas' name was Jesus Barabbas. That was his name. His name was Jesus, the son of a father. Blows my mind. That cannot be a coincidence. <laughs> Jesus, we call him Barabbas because people in the early church didn't want to use the word Jesus because we had a good Jesus. We didn't want to have a bad one. But what God did in the Scripture is God took two. That's why Pontius Pilate said, do you want me to release 
Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus, Bara, the son of father. They were both the father's son. One was a failure. The worst of the worst failure. And one was the true and perfect father's son. So the truth is, we are Barabbas. Barabbas is our story. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free? Open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah, give us Barabbas. everything now for you have set me free no I don't see any of that in Barabbas and God knew that Jesus stood there silent for he knew the will of the father he said it's fine father let him have Barabbas for Jesus knew that the father 
would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. When I look at the story, I realize who Barabbas really is. That's me. That's you. That's us. And I felt I was reading this the other day, and I felt God speak to me. I love Barabbas. I love him. But God, he's a bad man. I love him. And I wanted him to go free. But didn't you know that he probably would have never acknowledged the freak? Yeah, but I love Barabbas. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas. Even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the call, the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I'm going to work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin, the sexual urges? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it! No, you won't! You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin and sexual temptation. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me say, no, son. Let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No! God, I I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. What if I do it again? I'll still be here. Oh God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. 
We can pretend like some people are better than others and that's why they're blessed, or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive? Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him, I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. And I feel the love of God saying, go son, live your life. I'll pay the price. When we get off, thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free. It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. the truth he is enough this is our story this is our story thank you guys I want to ask all of you if you will just to bow your heads for a minute there's just something about today that's different I feel like God is reaching right now. He's reaching into secret places and prideful places and shameful places and hidden places. God's reached into things that may be open or things that may be in the darkness. And God is reaching in and saying, I am enough. I'm all, I'm, I'm enough. The blood the body what I did on the cross is enough that's all I ask trust me if today just just listen carefully if today you know you know God was speaking to you then maybe he exposed the veil that you're wearing or maybe maybe you're just ashamed to be here because everybody sees beyond the veil I don't care doesn't matter. God doesn't. What he cares about is that you know he took your place. If that's you today, God wants to make this an encounter moment for you. The day Bradley said he turned his life over to Christ, maybe you've done that a long time ago, but today Jesus needs to say, I'm still there for you, buddy. We're going to have some people worship by prayer team if you'll come to the front we're going to have some people here that would meet you and just pray with you just pray with you maybe your burden is like Bradley it's you've got family and you go God I know you're enough and I can't do I can't 
I can't win them now. I've got to give them to you. And you need somebody just to agree with you to take that burden off. They're here for you. I'm going to ask you today, not be afraid to respond. Would everyone stand, please? Just in this moment as Charmaine sings, I'm going to ask you, if God was touching your heart just then, I want you to come and just let someone pray with you just a moment. Would you step out right now and come? Would you step out and come? Don't waste this moment. Don't waste this moment. Step out and come. Someone's here waiting on you. you calling me. Someone's here waiting and on you. And I'm undone. Your love is amazing. Your love is calm and dark. Don't wait. Here you calling me. Don't wait. Step out. Step out. And I won't wait another minute till you outrun my heart. I give to you. Come on. With everything within me, I belong to you. God, I give. Jesus is enough. thank you so much that you are enough and Lord I pray that the words Jesus is enough would be our story and I pray Lord God that when we leave this place it will echo in our minds and people will make decisions in their car at their home on a walk in a secret place and you will finish what you started today for those who hang in the balance in the name of Jesus Amen. Those at the front remain until you're finished praying, but thank you so much.